Hello and welcome to the Voices of Sustainability. My name is Bella Bauma and I will be your host for today's episode. Today we have a special interview with Peter Bogart. He is a member of the Holland Climate Collaborative and he is here to share about his journey with sustainability. So without further ado, here's Peter Bogart. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello everyone, my name is Peter Bogart. I'm a member of the Holland Climate Collaborative. Let me just say here at the beginning, a word of thanks to Bella Bauma and the Hope Advocates for Sustainability. Thank you for this opportunity to, to share and to reflect on sustainability issues, climate and environmental issues. Um, and I really wanna say thank you to all of you who are moving into these sorts of careers as young people. Those of us of a certain age, as they say, are really pleased to see the enthusiasm with which young people are moving into this, this arena. We have learned over time that what we're engaged in here will not be easily resolved. And we basically are gonna be in a generation to generation activity, I think for the rest of our lives in the rest of our children's lives, we will always be engaged in this question of trying to properly manage our life in the natural world. So we're really pleased to see the seriousness with which you young folks at, at Hope College are beginning to apply yourselves to these questions. You're talking here to a guy who in 1971 was sitting in a college auditorium listening to speakers at one of the very first Earth Day rallies. So I was introduced at a young age to this notion that things are not right in the physical world, that we were facing challenges that needed to be addressed if we were going to have a quality life. Now, back at that point in time, I suspect these are things you folks <laughs> at your age probably only read about in textbooks, but there were drivers for that for that activity as it was getting started in, in our culture. Uh, things like the Santa Barbara oil spill, one of those very first oil spills that hit the shores of California. In Ohio, the Cuyahoga River was so polluted that it caught on fire. And that image of water on fire, don't you use water to put out a fire? Just galvanized people's awareness of the way in which we were polluting the natural world. Um, that was also the time, you may recall, approximately the era when Rachel Carson was publishing Silent Spring. And we were beginning to understand that the pollutants and toxins we released into the natural world were working their way back up through the food chain to us. And that kind of awareness gave rise to what was something of a slogan at the time, there is no such place as away. You can never throw anything away. And what we learned was, yeah, you can throw those chemicals away and they come right back in your food. There's no such place as away. And that was the first, I think, understanding that many of us had about how intricately, re intricately related the world's natural systems are. That gave rise to a lot of pressure. And um, Nixon administration then was passing the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, 
founding the Environmental Protection Agency, and we really felt like we were on the way. This terrible problem was going to be solved. And I think one of the things I understand now, these almost 50 years later, is the degree to which we failed to understand the intricacy of nature and human impact on it. We thought at the time that the problem solution was legislation. And if you could just pass the right kind of legislation with the right kind of penalties and bring these polluters back in line, then hip hip hooray, we have solved the problem. Let's move on with our lives. That of course has not proven to be the case. That's why you all are now studying sustainability because there are gonna be no simple solutions. Um, we began to understand all these years later, and I think Wendell Berry says it best, we don't have an environmental problem, we have a way of living problem. All the things we do, every move we make, does something in our industrialized world to harm nature and to, de and to degrade the natural systems that undergird our lives. Um, that makes it incredibly difficult to deal with because you hardly know where to begin. Every move we make does something to degrade the natural world. How do we deal with that? It appears now that climate change is the quintessential issue. It appears to me that it's become the umbrella under which all the other environment and under which all the other environmental issues are gathering. It's sort of the linkage that helps us understand all of these connected harms that we've done to the world. Climate change is also one of those issues that touches people deeply. You look at the vehemence with which some people deny it and other people pursue it and you realize that something very deep in human psyche is being reached here. Something that seems fundamental to how we live, to our so-called way of life. I'm, I'm, and those deep questions are what brought me into what you, you all now call sustainability. My introduction to this topic actually was in church. I was asked 20 years ago to be a Caring for Creation coordinator at our church. And I quite frankly had no idea what that meant. I had not really been following environmental issues very closely. And I had no idea what it meant to be a Caring for Creation coordinator. What's that got to do with the environment? I tried to duck the question for, for a while, but people were persistent, and I eventually said yes. And then I began to read and to study and to begin to talk with people and find out what are the environmental issues we're facing? What has that got to do with faith? And the more I learned, the more I began convinced that our problems are not going to be solved solely by legislation. They're not going to be solved solely by good policy. They're not going to be solely solved by new technology. 
Because fundamentally, Wendell Berry is right. It's the way we live in the world that we have to deal with. And we're going to have to be willing to change. One of the blessings of hard questions, and in this case, environmental questions, one of the blessings of environmental hard questions is that they deep drive you deep into your faith. Every difficult problem is ultimately a faith-related question, asking us, how should we live? What is the proper way to live? And to whom are we responsible? Those are questions you're only going to answer in faith, whatever your faith may be, or however you define it. Only, only the changes we need to make are going to be made by people who believe that they need to do that because it's the right thing. There's a certain amount of pressure we can exert legislatively, but I think we've learned one thing in this country, it's that prohibition doesn't work. This country in the 1930s flirted with that notion that we could legislate morality, that we could legislate people's behavior and get them to do the right thing. Nothing is more obviously false. And that's why I believe this is a conversation that at least fundamentally in the faith, needs to be fundamentally in the faith community. Because we are the folks who say that we're a member of a church because our lives changed. We've had an experience with God that allows us to trust that if we change, life will still be, still be valid and good. And our experience of having accepted that gift from God in... Let me see if I can phrase that a little differently. It's quite common in Christian experience for people to give their testimony. They talk about what their life was, what their life is now, and they say, my experience with God led me to a place where I changed, and now my life is better than it was. Christian people, above all, understand that change is not only necessary, but change can be done and when done, leads to a better life. That's a message which is not resonating in the culture at large. One of the reasons we have not faced up to climate change responsibility is because we're scared to death of the change. We're scared to death that our so-called way of life will be lost and our lives will be ruined. We don't want to change. So, some of the most valuable people in this discussion, in my view, are people of faith, because we can say with confidence and with authority and with reassurance that change is good and when engaged in leads to a fuller, better quality of life. So that faith commitment is one of the things that kind of drew me into the sustainability discussion. Um, as I became more and more aware of what the issues are, I also began to understand that you can't just think about it. We have to find ways of working at it. And for those of us who are in the Holland Climate Collaborative, this is sort of a coming back together of folks who began to work at these issues 15 years ago. What happened in Holland at that point in time 
was that the Board of Public Works announced that the James DeYoung coal-fired power plant out on the waterfront was no longer viable. It had to be replaced. It couldn't be patched up or repaired or upgraded anymore. It had, it had reached the end of its useful life. The announcement they made in 2006 was their intention was to build an even bigger coal-fired power plant. Now that sparked a discussion in town. A number of people began to ask, is that really what we want to do? And of course, our awareness of climate change and the, the difficulty that comes from burning fossil fuels is what was in the back of everyone's mind. If we were going to make a change, why were we not going to make a better change and put less carbon pollution in the air? So people began to meet and to gather, to speak out. There were a number of uh, pop-up groups that formed for a while and held meetings and education events and then seemed to disappear. And eventually it all kind of coalesced into a group we called the Community Energy Advisory Group, which I was a part of. And we began to lobby City Council and the BPW to pay attention to this issue because we did not believe that a good coal-fired power plant was good for our future. Um, the City Council at that point in time then appointed a sustainability committee and charged them with the responsibility of trying to understand what was Holland's community energy future. So there, that led to a process of a couple of years with a consultant who was brought in, studies that were done, and recommendations that were all ultimately made. And in the meantime, to their credit, the Holland Board of Public Works was also reassessing their decision and working with their consultants and their engineering firms and asking themselves, is this really the best decision at this point in time? They also, to their credit, opened up the discussion to be more than just a mechanical dollars and cents question. They asked, what are the human values that need to be included in this decision? What's best for the community at large? They, at that point in time, then began to just walk away from this notion of coal-fired power plant. The Sustainability Committee eventually came back with a report from their consultant and recommendations for the future, which were accepted by the City Council in 2012. And those called for a plan to reduce our carbon footprint in the city and to do that over the course of 40 years. So by 2050, the idea was to get down to um, the equivalent of 10 metric tons per person per year. And we were starting at 24. The Board of Public Works then also was recognizing that they needed to be a part of this plan and that their plans folded into this larger community plan. And they uh, then settled on what was called building a combined cycle gas turbine plant, a state-of-the-art at the time plant which cut our electric production carbon footprint almost by 60%. It was just a, a really big gain in, in cleaner power production in Holland. So, so at that point in time, 
City Council began to form task forces and began to take the pieces of the Community Energy Plan and try and figure out how to implement it. What were the strategies? What kind of budgets had to be, be made? And things began to move forward to do the sorts of things we need to do. The Home Energy Retrofit Program, for instance, was started at that time. We incentivize homeowners to make their own homes more efficient. Efficient homes use less fuel, create less carbon pollution. Um, the city has gone on to do things like uh, upgrading its own buildings, turning street lights into LED lighting, sorts of things that cut carbon pollution. And it really felt like in 2012, we were on our way. We had this plan for how we were going to move forward. We had a, a way of measuring success. We had a date we wanted to reach by 2050. And based on everything we knew at the time, it seemed like this was a reasonable plan. What has changed in the intervening 10 years is the science. In 2018, the, Envir the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change came out with a report, and it had some rather stark language in it. Basically, we were making no progress whatsoever at competing at uh, eliminating carbon pollution, and we were on a trajectory which, if continued, would lead to massive climate destruction and serious consequences for people all over the world. Uh, basically, they said, you know what, we just squandered the last 10 years. And the rate at which things are progressing and the trajectory of climate change indicates that if we're going to hold this to a level of climate change that will not be acute, create acute and severe damage, we have got to make rapid, rapid, radical and deep changes in our use of carbon fuels in the next 10 years. So for those of us who had kind of gone back to the sidelines back in 2012, began to recognize the community energy plan itself was not adequate to meet the actual challenge we were facing. That 40-year goal wasn't realistic anymore. And so some of us became, began to come back together and began to form the nucleus of what is now the Holland Climate Collaborative. We're asking people to join us in conversation from across all sectors of the community, whether that's folks in business, whether that's folks in academics, whether that's folks in nonprofits, from the faith community, um, just any number of citizens who believe we need to move on this. Um, and we are taking it as our task to lobby the city council to reset the goal. It's time to recalibrate. It's not that we've done a bad job. It's not that we've done no job. Holland has won a number of Green City Awards in the intervening 10 years, and we have been active in this arena. But the science is telling us that the target we're shooting at now is the wrong target. We have got to cut our carbon footprint in half by 2030 if we're going to be on track to hit this, the targets that climate science says we need to hit by 2050. So that's our ask for city council. We're asking them to recalibrate that goal and to reset the strategies and budgets necessary to reach this more now realistic 
goal. City Council has taken that question and reconvened the strategic development team. There is a mechanism built into this, the community energy plan that calls for periodic review. So on a three, maybe five year basis, the mayor is supposed to call a strategic development team into being and give them the task of, a, of taking a look at the community energy plan and whether or not it's on track and whether or not there need to be adjustments in strategy. So as a Colin Climate Collaborative, we're saying to both of these groups, Strategic Development Team and City Council, whatever you do, set a goal. Set a goal that's realistic compared to the science. Um, we're finding that's a difficult lift for City Council. They're, they appear to be reluctant to move forward on this. It's a difficult lift for the strategic development team because these folks are coming into it not having been part of the original process, trying to learn the ropes on the run and then trying to understand what strategies need to be brought forward. So we, we're taking it as our task, number one, to say, this is the goal. This is what we need to reach. And what kind of strategies generally do we need to pursue in order to reach a realistic goal? So in my mind, there's about three things we need to do. First, we need to decarbonize our electric production. When the BPW went to natural gas fired production, electric production, they made a huge gain in our carbon footprint. But the unfortunate part of that is that we did not move away from natural gas. Now I know that's gonna be difficult to make another transition. And I know it's difficult to understand exactly, well, what replaces. Um, it's not like there are big finished systems on the shelf but we need to begin the process of understanding what our strategy is going to be so that we eventually get to totally clean, uh, carbon-free energy production. The second thing we need to take a look at is our building stock, houses, commercial buildings, churches, industrial buildings. The building sector in any typical city uses about 40% of all the energy electric and gas. Holland has a particularly old housing stock. It was not built for energy efficiency. That wasn't something that people were conscious of when many of our homes were built. But it's also an opportunity which if we address the retrofitting of those homes and the retrofitting of those businesses, we can then minimize the amount of heating and cooling that needs to go into those homes and using less fuel means less pollution. It's also time to take a look at changes in technology. Um, almost everyone in our area is gonna have a, a fan-driven natural gas furnace. But we now have available to us air source and ground source heat pumps, which use no natural gas, run on electricity at home, electricity alone. And the beauty of that is that if the electricity itself is green, we have really eliminated almost all the electric or the uh, carbon pollution 
in our community. The third arena where we need to be active is much more diff difficult to conceptualize. But we need to take a look at the way we use land and property and zoning. We need to begin to understand how do we retrofit a city? How do we make it possible for people to do what they need to do without necessarily being dependent upon automobiles? It's a land use and mobility kind of question. No easy, simple solution. Uh, no cut and paste kind of a solution. But we need to start to seriously think through how do we build a city where people can move about and be active and work and yet not have to rely on personal transportation, at least for everything. Paris, France is kind of leading the way on this kind of thinking right now. They are developing what they call the 15-minute city. And the idea is that no matter where you live, you should be within a 15-minute walk or a 15-minute bicycle ride to any of the basic services you need on a daily basis. So how far away is the grocery store? How far away is the, the medical building? How far away are they the restaurants that you'd like to, to participate in? Take a look at the sorts of things that people need to do on a regular day in and day out basis. And how can we configure our city in such a way as to make them within walking or bicycling distance? How can we do that without diminishing the quality of life and yet not be so dependent on motorized vehicles? Those are a lot of questions that have something to do with how do we configure our cities? You know, we are committed in this country to the suburbs, single, single family homes on large urban plots. Old cities, the way people live for thousands of years, people live more closely together. Now, is there a way we can do that that is comfortable and acceptable to everyone in our community. There's certain ideas that we need to be challenged on. Um, and it's going to be difficult for us to avoid the worst, I believe, the worst consequences of climate change, unless we also find this way of living together that is also more, more reasonable, less energy intensive. Um, it isn't necessarily a quality of life issue. Quality of life doesn't have to be behind a steering wheel. Quality of life, as most people experience it, is in relationships. Can I spend time with the people I know and love? Can I see my, easily see my friends? Can we engage in interesting activities together? How easy is it to get together? Those quality of life issues can be met if we begin to take a look at the way we structure our cities and to begin to consciously start to make the changes that minimize the need for mechanical transport. So that's Holland's challenge. That's why I'm part of the Holland Climate Collaborative. That's why we're asking people across the broad spectrum of the community to join with us in this conversation because quite frankly, nobody knows enough 
nobody knows the problems you have that I, that I can... What I'm partially concerned about as we talk about solutions for a whole community is the law of unintended consequences. Well and good for me to impose my solutions on the city, but I'm not quite sure how that plays out for other people, how that plays out for businesses, how that plays out for government. We need all of those people at the table together as we begin to re-envision what our city needs to be. That's what we're hoping the Holland Climate Collaborative can be. This place where all of us who love this place, want to raise our children here, don't want to be anywhere else, come together and find the common way of moving forward together that accounts for the needs of everyone, but also does not damage the natural world as we put together those plans. So that's kind of the two things I think he asked for, Bella. How did I get involved in something like this? And I've got to tell you, sometimes I ask myself, how did a nice guy like you get involved in a project like this? You know, life could be so much easier if you weren't out fighting these battles all the time. Um, but quite frankly, I'm happy to be here. I think it's important that we all participate in the life of our community. And I'm also happy to be here because I think this is a faith commitment that God calls us to be part of his work of redeeming, renewing, and recreating the world. Human beings cause a lot of damage in the world. That's the oldest Bible story there is. And yet, God in his grace allows us to be part of working with God to renew and restore the world. So I want to be part of this because I think it's part of my faith commitment. It really is a part of who I am, not just something I do. So to all your young colleagues, Bella, um, we want to say thank you for being part of joining with the sustainability issue. We wish you a, a long and fruitful life. And we would, like, we would like to see in your lifetime the kind of solutions put in place that make this a healthier, better world to live in. So thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on our Instagram at Haas underscore Hope College and stay tuned for the next episode.